Good morning, everyone. Welcome. I'm glad that you're here. Those of you that are joining us here in the sanctuary and those of you that are joining us online, we welcome you in the name of the Lord. Um, I don't know how many of you uh, like buffets. I know it's COVID and all that kind of stuff is kind of set aside for right now. But how many of you did like buffets? Did you have favorites? Yeah? Uh, I, I had a few favorites. Uh, I liked, I don't know how many of you guys ever went to Ruby Tuesdays. They had, they had a good buffet. Or right here locally over in North Java, over at um, the Central House. I don't know how many of you guys ever went over there. That was a great salad buffet. Or one of the things that my wife and I really enjoyed a lot was the Lumberyard Brunch Buffet. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys ever went over for that. We loved it. But part of the reason why we like buffets is that they offer us a large variety of foods for a fairly reasonable price, right? We get to have as much as we want of whatever we want. And it's kind of an enjoyable time. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever taken time to read up on one of our nation's founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson. But one of the things for which he is perhaps most famous is what is called the Jefferson Bible. I don't know if any of you have ever read about it, but Thomas Jefferson had an interesting view about Christianity, about religion, about God, and about how that's to interact with our daily lives. So what Thomas Jefferson did, and at that time they didn't have the ability to do what we do with our computers, so that when we talk about cutting and pasting, they literally meant cutting and pasting. Thomas Jefferson took the Bible, and he took the whole Old Testament, and he cut it right out and he threw it away. Whole Old Testament, gone. Then he took all of the New Testament from the book of Acts all the way to Revelation, and he cut that out and he threw it away. Then he took all of the sections of the Gospels that dealt with the supernatural, like the virgin birth, or the resurrection, or uh, miracles. He took that all, and he cut that out of the Bible, and then he took all that was left, which was basically what he considered to be the sayings of Christ, and he taped and pasted it all together, and he made this 84-page manuscript. It's still available, by the way. You can get it. 84-page manuscript that he called The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, if you're a thinking person here today, you've got to be wondering in your mind, Pastor Chris, what in the world does buffets have to do with Thomas Jefferson's Bible? Well, let me explain it to you. I think that a lot of us are more like Thomas Jefferson than what we want to admit. We're what I'm going to call, for lack of a better term today, we are buffet Christians. We pick and choose those things in the Bible that we like, and we ignore and avoid those things that put high demands upon us that we don't like. Uh, we like to be able to pick things like heaven, how many of you want to go to heaven? We like heaven. Uh, how many of you like forgiveness? How many of you blown it lately? And you need forgiveness? How many of you blew it within the last day? Lord, help us. We need forgiveness. We like forgiveness. Uh, we like teachings about grace and love. But we don't like so much as we heard 
in the reading today from Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, and you can turn there. I'm going to be spending most of my time there. We don't like things about the cross and suffering. Um, why is it that so many of us uh, are buffet Christians? I, I, I want to give you quickly three reasons why we, we prefer that. Number one, it's because most of us have only ever heard the American Gospel. And you'd say, well, what's the American Gospel? The American Gospel is very simply that we love the fact that Jesus offers us a tremendous benefit package. If you will believe in me, you get it all. And everybody likes a good benefit package. If you're going to go to work for a place, you want to know not only what they're going to pay you, but what are the benefits that you're going to get out of it. We like the fact that uh, if you come to Jesus, He'll forgive your sins. Uh, he'll punch your ticket for heaven. He'll heal your broken marriage. He'll give you a job promotion. He'll be like the teddy bear that you can hold on to at night when you're afraid. We kind of treat Jesus like uh, Santa Claus and the butler Alfred all rolled up into one. That's how we want to think about Jesus. He, he's our... Lord and our Savior, and He gives us all those good things we want. I want to eat breakfast ice cream. And so He says, great, no problem. And we want that kind of approach to Jesus. Um, I don't know how many of you guys, well, let me just ask you, how many of you actually watch Christian TV sometimes? CBN or some of the other programs that are out there? Um, this is kind of a compilation of how I view some of the TV evangelists that I have heard over my lifetime. It goes something like this. You want a brand new, made-over spouse? You want new, better-behaved kids? Do you want a new job with more money? God's given me a word for you. It's simply this. If you will listen to that which I say, if you will believe it and lay hold of it, and if you will send me a love gift of 2021, I promise you, that 2021, the year, will be better than any year you have ever had. Just send me your gift of $2,021 and it all can be yours. To me, that kind of encapsulates how I view the American Gospel. Give me everything that I want that's good in life. Don't make me struggle or be challenged by anything. It reminds me of those people in the parable of the sower back in Mark chapter 6. Some of you guys will remember that from your reading. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus told the parable of the sower in which He talked about seed that was scattered. And in that scattering, some fell upon stony ground. And it says they received the seed with joy, but when hard times came, they fell away because they had no root in themselves. And that's kind of how I see a lot of people. I've watched people in this church, sit right there where you're sitting, saying, I love God with all my heart. I can't imagine ever following Him. And then something hard happens. It could be the loss of a loved one. That you prayed and you believed God for healing, and when God didn't do what you wanted, you said, I don't want to follow a God like that. When hard things happen, they fell away. Another reason why I think we're buffet Christians is that there is a greater focus upon our life plan than upon God's call upon our life. We choose 
our life plan. And I, I know there's a whole lot of stuff going on about coaching today. And I honor the fact that coach's purpose is to help us with good questions find out what it is that God is calling us to in our lives. It's not just to find out what I want to do. It's what is God's higher call for our lives. In Mark chapter 8, in verse 31, you can turn there if you're not there already. Mark 8, 31. It says, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. In those moments, Peter was being a buffet Christian. Peter believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. He already had said, he'd already proclaimed, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus had said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. So he believed that this was the Messiah. But what he couldn't handle was a Messiah who would choose to suffer, who would choose to hang upon a cross, who would choose to die giving his life as a ransom for men. He couldn't handle that. So he turned around, and the Scripture says he rebuked Jesus said, Jesus, no, 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 that's never going to be. That's not my version of the Gospel. I carry an American Gospel where everything is hunky-dory and peachy keen. Everything's wonderful. Everything comes up roses. Peter was hoping that he could somehow convince Jesus to do Peter's agenda. Peter's agenda was very simply that Jesus would help get rid of the Democrats from the White House and put the Republicans back in. Oh yeah, wrong story, wrong culture, wrong time. No, same story. Peter was hoping that Jesus would help the Jews get rid of the Romans. Same story. And he says, I'm not going to have a Messiah who won't perform according to my agenda. If Jesus had listened to Peter, he would have taken the easy way, the more convenient way, not the cross way where he gave his life for you and for me. But that's the nature of the American gospel today. And one of the things we need to realize is that sometimes even well-meaning friends can lead us astray. Even well-meaning friends can say things like, God, God wants you to be happy. He doesn't want you to be struggling. He wants you to be happy. So do whatever brings you the most happiness. Well, I got to tell you, I have not, I've walked with Jesus now for about, well, no, over 40 years. Uh, probably closer to 50 years. Uh, I've walked with Jesus a long time. And I got to tell you, following Jesus isn't always fun. It's not always happy. It's not always easy. In fact, sometimes it's downright hard because He asks things of you that are challenging to your flesh. But that's the nature of what we're called to. Having walked with Jesus for this long, I've come to the realization that He said, if you don't take up your cross, you're not worthy of Me. And I wonder, how many of us are cross-bearers today? How many of us have chosen to take up our cross and to follow Him. 
He said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Um, some years back, some of you guys might even remember this. It, it made big headline news. There was a young man in L.A., Los Angeles, California, who was actually voted and elected prom queen of his high school. He came dressed like it, and he was elected prom queen. And the news media picked it up, but here's what they said that I thought was so interesting. They lauded him for being so courageous, so brave to be who he really was. Now, my point in that is not to get into a discussion with you about gender dysphoria. None of that. That's not my point at all. My point is, if the world will brazenly live for what they believe, why is it that so many Christians are cowards when it comes to living for what they believe? See, I believe that the Bible is still true. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's Word still holds for our lives? That it didn't go away because it's not culturally popular anymore? I don't think the world determines what's true. God's Word does. And with that in mind, my challenge to you this morning is, are we buffet Christians? Have we picked and chose what we want to believe because it's easier for us? Uh, I don't know if you've thought about it lately, but in my reading this year, one of the things that I've come across in my thinking, it hit me suddenly, Jesus is so close-minded. He's not open like everybody else. He, he, he doesn't try to build consensus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. I'm not a way. I'm not one of the ways to God. I am the way. There is no other way. No one can come to the Father but through me. And so, here we are, looking at the Gospel. Summing up our study of the book of Mark. Have you come to the point where you recognize there's a whole lot of things that I have embraced that are more Americanized Gospel than they are Biblical Gospel? The third thing, third reason why we kind of pick and choose how we want to live our lives for Jesus is we tend to put our emphasis upon this life more than the life to come. We live for today. Uh, it was back in 1000 A.D., 1000 A.D., they opened up King Charlemagne's tomb. And when they opened it up, they entered the tomb, and there they found the skeleton of the king sitting on his throne that he had had built for himself. He had all of the paraphernalia that was still covering him, all of his regal robes, had a crown still on his head, but on his lap, he had a Bible open to this text. He said very simply this, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Too often, we want to fight about things that we consider our rights instead of laying our lives down for Jesus. In my first devotion, those of you that have been following on Facebook, you know that we have put out uh, on almost a daily level uh, a little video, one-minute devotion out of the book of Mark. And in my devotion, I talked to you that in back in chapter 1, Jesus first said you have to believe the gospel. So belief is the first level in being a Christian. But then he goes on and he calls the disciples and said, no, it's not enough to believe, you have to also follow. And so I said, 
there's a lot of Christians that believe. There's a lot of people who believe. But that doesn't mean a whole lot because James tells us even the demons believe in God. In fact, do you know that Lucifer himself probably knows more about God than you do? It's not enough to believe we have to become followers. Well, what I want to suggest to you today is there's a third step. And it's not a third step like if you do step one, step two, then step three. It's more like a compilation of the whole thing together. The third step is, what does it mean to go to being a disciple? What does it mean to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ? And I want to give you just a couple of things that I saw from our text today. Number one, and by the way, I, I want to clarify something about um, following. A lot of people that I talk to, even people in this town, maybe even some in this church, I don't know, people say we're followers of Jesus, but what they mean is we're following Jesus' moral teachings. He said some really good things. And in that way, we're a lot like Jefferson. We, we take the sayings of Jesus, you know, the Sermon on the Mount. And the Beatitudes, we love those. They're sweet, they're, they're warm and cuddly. We kind of like those. And we embrace those. And so they say, I'm a follower of the way of Jesus. But they don't follow Jesus all the way. Because the way of Jesus will always, hear this, the way of Jesus will always take you to a cross. If you haven't come to the cross, you're not a follower of Jesus at all. You adhere to His good sayings, but you're not a follower. You're not a disciple. So, number one, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Number one, Jesus said to be his disciple, you have to first deny yourself. Mark 8.34 says this, When he called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. He's not here talking about giving up smoking or drinking or swearing or any of that kind of stuff. That's not what he's talking about, although that might be part of it for all of us. But that's not his point here. He's saying that to be his disciples, you surrender control of your life to him. You surrender your life. All of the decisions, all the places you go, all the things you do, everything comes under his control is what it means to be a Christian. Denial of self is placing yourself in the hands of God at all times, no matter where his hands take you. Placing yourself in the hands of God at all times. It means that you live with the constant awareness that your life is not your own. You belong to Him. So I want you to take a moment right now. Just kind of close your eyes. Those of you that don't already have your eyes closed. Close your eyes for just a minute. And I want you to ask yourself, do I live my life daily knowing that He's in complete control? And be honest with yourself. Are the things that you do, the things you say, are they born of His Spirit? And when you fall short, which we all do, do you cry out to Him and say, oh God, I want to be more like You. We're not saying you should say, I'm a worm. That's not what this is about. It's saying, my life's not my own. Okay. Let me be first to admit, it's not easy 
to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. The natural leaning of mankind. The natural inclination of my heart is me first, you a distant second at best. And for some of you, you're third, fourth, fifth down the line. But me is always first. That's the natural inclination of mankind. And so, one of the things that he calls us to is to deny, deny ourselves. It reminds me of a story of a mother who was making some pancakes for breakfast and her boys, her two teenage boys, were arguing over who would get the first pancakes because they, they could smell the pancakes being made. They could just in their mind imagine the butter slathered, syrup-saturated pancakes and they just couldn't wait to get it. And mom thought this would be a great opportunity to teach them a lesson. And so she said, boys, I want you to think about what would Jesus do here? And they thought about it for a minute. It was obvious they were confused about it. So she said, Jesus would say, you have the first pancake, I'll wait. And the older brother looked at his younger brother and said, okay, you be Jesus this time. And that's kind of how we live our lives. We want to be first. Deny yourself. Hear this. Deny yourself is completely backwards from this world system. Isn't it? Everything in the world is me first. Look out for yourself. Do what makes you happy. And forget the consequences to everyone else around you and to life itself. The Message Bible translates this particular thing, this verse, this way. It says, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. That's what it says. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. So that when you say Jesus is my co-pilot, that's just that's wrong. Jesus isn't the co-pilot. He's not willing to be a passenger in anybody's car. He's either driving or he's not in your car. The second thing that it means to be a disciple is you have to take up your cross. In that same verse, he says you have to follow me, deny yourself, and then the next thing is take up your cross. Uh, what does it not mean? Uh, have you ever heard somebody say something like, um, and, and maybe it's sisters together. I'll just pick on sisters. Since I had a family full of sisters, I've heard people say things like, my sisters, really, they annoy the living daylights out of me, but I guess that's my cross to bear. I want to suggest to you that's not what Jesus was meaning at all when he said, take up your cross. It's not when we say things like, well, as you get older, you get all kinds of aches and pains, and I guess that's just my cross to bear. Again, that's not what Jesus meant. What it means, very simply, is you have made the choice to go from doing your will to doing His will. You see, the first thing that we looked at where you deny yourself is saying no to yourself. The second thing now that we're looking at where you take up your cross is you're saying yes to Jesus. So you're saying no to yourself and you're saying yes to Jesus and to His will for your life. It's not that you wear a cross around your neck trying to look religious. It's that you actually recognize my life is on the cross. That's where I live. I find my identity in the cross of Jesus Christ. Yes, I was buried with Him and I was raised to newness of life, but I never get far from the cross. Because Paul says it's the preaching of the cross that confounds the wise of this world. The cross is everything to we who are followers of Christ. Um, 
Jesus calls us to take up that cross and to live fully for Him. And that means saying yes to some things and saying no to some other things. Um, I've had over my years, and I know I've done it myself, said things like, yeah, but I've got friends that are older than I am, who have walked with God longer than I have, that seem more godly, and they can do it, so why can't I? Well, I want to suggest to you that your friends never are the determiner for what you can or can't do. You have to choose what it is that God is saying to you. Years ago, Paul Johansson at Elam handed out a little track, and the name of the track was, Others May, But You Cannot. And the message is very simple. You have to hear from Jesus. What is Jesus saying to you? Not what did he say to your friends, but what did Jesus say to you for your life? Not what's the easy way to get along. And all of us have done it at times. Every one of us at times have just gone along so we didn't become embarrassed by having to go against the crowd. But they're not our determiners for what is truth and what is life. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross. And I wonder if Pastor Jonathan was right last week when he talked about this very thing, when he said, we have almost dumbed down the gospel to make it easier for everybody until we have ended up with a form of godliness. A form of godliness. But we lack the power thereof. The third thing it means to be a disciple, he says, he says, you deny yourself, you take up your cross, in verse 34, you follow me. Too many Christians look at their faith as only something that happened on the day they said the sinner's prayer. I, I, I agree with Pastor Jonathan. I think it's probably one of the things that has probably most hurt the church is a sinner's prayer. I'm not saying we should never do a sinner's prayer. That's not what I mean. But we have people say the sinner's prayer, and it's almost like you could say abracadabra. And as long as you said the magic words, you're in. Instead of, no, that's just the beginning. And that has to have faith attached to it. But that's still just the beginning of a walk with Christ where you deny yourself, you take up your cross, and you choose to follow Him. It's something that you live out every single day of your life. Um, for too many people, and, and I was, it's funny, uh, I have one of my employees out at the Redemption Center was talking to me about this this week, and he grew up in a religious home. But he said the irony was we would go to church on Sundays and my, I'll, I'll just say parents to make it generic, my parents would be so spiritual, act so godly, look so nice, but the second we got out of church and went home, it was life back to normal and that wasn't good life. They were mean, they were violent, they were angry. And I wonder, you guys come into church on Sundays and you look great, you look nice. Some of you even dressed up a little bit anymore. Good. My question isn't how much is your faith worth here? My question is how much is your faith worth out there? Do you live for Jesus everywhere, every day? The call of Jesus is to follow Him daily. So, very simply, to follow Jesus means that you make Him the Lord of your life. That's the first thing. It's easy to say Jesus is Lord, but is He your Lord? I don't mean He's not the Lord. He's the Lord whether you make Him Lord or not. He is the Lord. He is the Lord of glory. The question is, is He your Lord? Is He Lord of your life? 
if you allowed him to have the say in everything. See, it's easy to say Jesus is Lord. That's like saying God is good, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything unless you attach something to it, which is your faith and your hope in God to actually live like he is your Lord. How do we do this practically? Next thing that I would say to you very simply, because again, uh, these are not things, that what I'm going to give you are not things that I think you should just do these three things, these four things, these five things, whatever it is. These are not things you can do. And once you get this down, you've got it. But these are part of it. And for you, there might be more, there might be less. But these are just some things that I have found that God has used in my life to help me to walk as a disciple of Jesus. The first is Bible reading. I have found that the Bible is like food to my soul. How many of you guys uh, read the Bible pretty regularly? I'm not saying every day, but pretty regularly. Isn't it true that when you open up the Word of God, especially like during this month where you have studied the book of Mark with the whole church, isn't that been wonderful, by the way? Being able to know that while you're reading it, others are reading it probably about the same time. But how many of you have opened the Bible and as you read it, all of a sudden something in it has come alive for you? It's like God's Word jumped off the pages into your heart. It's like it gripped your soul. That's the nature of Bible reading. It's not intended just to be a chore. Sometimes it can feel that way. Sometimes as I'm reading through the Bible, it's like I'm not getting a lot out of it. But God, I know your word is like seed planted in my soul. And that it will yield the harvest in season. But there's other times when I open it and I'm desperate. I pray ahead of time and I say, God, open your word to me. Help me to see it. Help me to get revelation. I'm reading through the Bible this year, as is my want, but uh, I'm also trying to focus on a couple of specific chapters, three specific chapters in the book of Romans at the same time. And I'm reading over them, I'm, I'm going over it, and every time I read it, I'm praying the same thing. God, give me revelation. There's something here. I know there's something here I need to get. But that whole Bible reading actually feeds my soul and helps me to do what Jesus said it means to be his disciple to deny myself, take up my cross, and to follow Him. John 15, 7, Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. But this, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. My word abiding in you. Do you take time? I know that for some of you, you're really busy. And maybe for some of you, because you travel, you're listening to the Bible through CD or your app. And I understand, that's great. My question is, are you paying attention and letting what you're hearing, what you're reading, soak into your soul? Number two, another way to follow Jesus is through your prayer life. Prayer, just simply talking with God. I'm not talking about, some of you have this whole thing where you're going to, pray through the Lord's Prayer every day, and you're going to go through different points, or some of you pray through the 23rd Psalm, and all those things are laudable. That's good. That's not what I'm about. I'm merely saying is, do you spend time with God on a daily basis? When you wake up, maybe like, uh, what was his name? Can't think of it right now. Uh, one of the famous television preachers would say, you wake up in the morning, you say, good morning, Holy Spirit. Somebody will remind me later. Who? Benny Hinn. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Uh, when you wake up in the morning, do you greet God? Say, God, thank you that my eyes open today. That I'm awake. 
And I'm looking forward to a great day with you. And throughout the day, do you talk to God? Uh, As most of you know, I like to take walks. Well, what do you do on your walk? I I find that doing those in-ear things don't work for me. They hurt. And I find that when I put on the headsets over my ears and I'm outside walking, people look at me funny. They probably do anyways. But uh, So what I do mostly while I'm out walking is I pray. I talk to God. Do you spend time just talking to the Lord? More than just, now I lay me down to sleep, do you spend time actually communing with God, with His presence, and letting His presence soak into you? Just take some time throughout your days to talk with the Lord and listen to His voice to you. 1 John 3.2 says this, Beloved, now, now we are the children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. As you spend time in prayer, as you spend time looking upon the Lord, something changes inside of you and you become more like Him. I'm not the way I want to be. There are things that God needs to change in my life. But I'm grateful I'm not the way I used to be. God is still doing something in me as I spend time with Him. Number three, another way to follow Jesus is what I call in community. Just spending time with other people who encourage you in your walk with God. One of the things that uh, I have found that concerns me greatly, and I've heard it from pastor after pastor after pastor after pastor, is that during this pandemic, where sometimes churches have had to close the doors for a short time, I know of churches that from March of last year right through till now have not opened their doors at all just because they don't feel like it's prudent yet. But during this time, it's really easy as churches begin to open for people to choose to say, I've kind of gotten used to staying at home, wearing my pajamas, having my cup of hot chocolate or coffee in the morning, and just sitting there, and I can watch the service on my laptop. I'm fine with that. I don't need to go to church. But you forget that God calls us to live our lives together. More than just you and your spouse or you and your family, He calls us to live together, to lay our lives down for one another. And I want to encourage you, don't spend one more second at home alone than is absolutely necessary. You need a place where you can be loved, but also where you can love and serve others. So that's partly what we do as a church, as a fellowship of believers, as Family Life Church is we want to have an opportunity to come together where, yeah, things are still different. We still got things kind of hodgepodge in the sanctuary, but we're still loving and serving one another. Hebrews 10.25 says that we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves as is the habit, habit of some. Some have just gotten into the habit of staying home. I, I don't need to come anymore. I'll just stay home. God calls us to gather together as much as is humanly possible. Ephesians 5.25 says, Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. Yes, he loves us, but he also loves his church, of which we are a part as we gather together. And number four, finally, mission life, I call it, which is just living your life with a mission. And that mission is his glory. Living your life, everyday life, your job, how you interact with people, how you interact with your family at home, how you interact here. All of that is your mission field. Some churches have a sign on the door as you're going out of the sanctuary, and it says, now entering the mission field. Well, I want to suggest to you that's true, but it's equally true in here. 
Your whole life is your mission. Your mission is to bring glory to God in all that you say and all that you do. The call to be a disciple of Jesus is to deny yourself, take up your cross, and to follow him. It means putting Jesus first in your life and to follow him completely. I can remember it was in December of 1975. Some of you guys might even have that date in your mind. December of 1975, our family had been going to church for a while. I'd gone to the altar probably every Sunday morning and every Sunday night forever because I would feel guilty and the pastor would say that if you haven't prayed the prayer of faith and if you haven't said the sinner's prayer and you sin this week, you're going to go to hell. So we would go back to the altar. And I would go again and again and again, hundreds of times. But it was in December of 1975 at Circle C Ranch over in Delavan, New York. Our youth group had gone away for just a time for the youth to have a sledding party. And I can remember my brother-in-law Dave and I talking in our cabin at night so that it was disturbing the others. And so we left the cabin and we went up to the shower house. And we stood and we talked for a long time. And I can still remember that night I said, I am making the conscious decision that I'm going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life no matter what it costs me. I am his. I am his disciple. And my question is, have you made that decision? Not just do you come to church once in a while, not just have you said the sinner's prayer, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Is that how you live your life? Not just you love the worship music or you love being able to see one another. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Would you bow your heads? Being a disciple is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment process. It's not a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It's every day, living for Jesus. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? More than simply a believer. Even more than a follower of his moral teachings. Are you a true disciple? Take stock right now. Ask Jesus to speak into your heart and life. Your faith is demonstrated. He said, bring fruits. Meet for repentance. There should be a demonstration of your faith. And if for any of you, you recognize, I need to make this step. Now would be the time to say, I am deciding today to follow Jesus no matter what. No matter what it costs me. How far I have to go how deep I have to go, I'm going to follow Jesus forever. To the end of my day, I'm going to be a lover of God, a follower of Jesus. Not my way, but his way. That's what Jesus said in the garden. Not my will, but your will be done. Father, we're grateful for your word. I'm grateful, Father, for the privilege that we have had to work through the Gospel of Mark together as a whole church family. I thank you for it, and I thank you for those that have put together the devotional and those who have done video devotions and how we've encouraged one another in it and how almost on a regular basis we have seen that your word has spoken to us. We're grateful for it. Father, we want it to bear fruit in our lives. 
that we truly be your disciple. That we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and we follow you. And Lord, where we fall short, we repent. We, we don't just say, God, we're sorry. We say, God, you made me for more than that. And I know I can't change on my own, but because I take up my cross, I'm going to say, not merely no to myself, I'm going to say yes to you. Yes to your way, to your will. And so, Father, today we look to you for grace upon grace that would transform our lives, that what we have heard is more than mere information, that it would cause a reformation that would lead to transformation. Lord, let this be a place where we don't teach, preach, or behave like the American Gospel or Jefferson's Bible is our example. But the true word of the living God. I commit every heart to you, including my own, that we would follow hard after you. I pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. The deacons are going to dismiss you in some orderly fashion. Uh, for those of you that perhaps are new, uh, we don't take up offerings. We have boxes that are on the walls by each door, and you can give your offering there if you would like. But we're grateful you are here, and we look forward to you coming back next week as we begin a new series on the famous last words of Jesus. God bless each of you.